Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast on this lovely Friday afternoon. Uh, I'm David Woods. That's the only thing I'm sure of anymore. <laughs> and even that, 50-50, uh, from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the, I believe, 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm joined uh, by a fellow, he tells me his name is Tracy Pearson. Uh, Tracy, how are you? I... I'm completely disoriented myself, so I don't know if I am who I am. I don't know who you are, and I don't know where I am. You know How what are I we know? talking right now? You're not in the same room as me. You know what I do know, though? This is really funny. We always tape the night before, and this we had to wait because there was so much up in the air, and now we are doing it on the exact day, that we're, and we still know nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing at all. Um, so if you're following along with the news today, um, it's really just like, uh, like yakety sacks fully, um, just controlling the narrative at all times. Uh, UCLA was scheduled to play Utah this weekend, uh, originally on Friday, then on Saturday, and now no longer will they be playing Utah. But meanwhile, Cal was scheduled to play ASU. Uh, if you remember last week, as far back as last week, feels like a different era, Cal actually had to cancel its opener against Washington because of COVID cases on Cal. This week, however, Cal had to cancel its game against ASU because of COVID cases on ASU. So if you're following along, Cal is now fine to play. Um, they, they were good to go for the ASU game. And because of that news, and because UCLA remains uh, relatively unscathed by COVID-19, knock on wood, everyone, because there well, are two days well, remaining until the game, right? And UCLA will there, play Cal 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Yes, and there and UCLA will release, you know, releases the results of its COVID-19 testing on Friday, today, in a few hours. And so, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Huh. I don't know. My head's just spinning. Yeah. You know, there's like some personal resentment here because I spent, you know, a decent portion of Wednesday and Thursday writing that tremendous Utah preview, which will now go for naught. You know, there's no, nothing. No, but it won't because, Dave, the only worth of one of our stories is if people read it. You're being very utilitarian about it. Um, but, yeah, I suppose that's true. Um it just feels like a waste of time to know who their left guard is now. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, That's true. That's true. I think now, you should do a complete parody preview tomorrow morning. Yeah. Something that maybe parodies yourself. I think really um, the season is essentially a parody of a football season. No, let's point. not say that. I want it. To, we all want it to really count, Dave. No, it's, but I think I, it, I think it will really count. I think the individual games truly and really count, but the entire thing is just gong show nonsense. Like, so UCLA and Cal are going to play on two days' notice, and of course it really counts because it's an even playing field. Cal's going to have the exact same notice that UCLA had for this game. So, all things being equal, and this is you know our whole thing about Chip Kelly from the beginning of the year. These are all true assessments because everyone is handed the exact same parameters, right? Like they all yes. have to play with uncertainty. They all have to coach with uncertainty. And as far as these things go, these are pretty evenly matched um, programs. I won't say talent because I think Cal has clear advantages, but programs, you know, they're at similar stages of the uh, head coach's tenure there. Um, the fact that UCLA is in such dire straits relative to Cal, I think is yet another data point that, Chip Kelly is not succeeding at UCLA. I'm just saying in macro, viewing this this season, it's, I mean, just bizarre. Absolutely bizarre, complete nonsense. <laughs> yes. Um, I, there's so much to say, and there's almost so much to say, I, there's just nothing to say. Um I, like I wrote this, I wrote the story this morning about the Utah game that it completely is a meaningful game when it comes to Chip Kelly's tenure. These just because there's so much uncertainty, it, it makes you tend to say, "Well, these, I mean, they're throwing this game together. Does it really count?" I think it really, really, really should count. I, I think no matter what, throwing a game together, no matter how prepared you are. 
it comes down to a few things. Chip Kelly's had, he's in his third year. He should have all of his guys that he's developed and coached up. He should have all of his schemes all well-conceived and refined. And he should be able to put a team on the field that is better than average, if not a very good one in the Pac-12. And that's where we stand. So I don't, there is no excuse when it comes to not being able to play this game highly competitively. How's that sound? I, I think it sounds good. I think it sounds valid. I think it sounds right. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Should we talk about Cal a little bit? Yeah, let's try. Okay. So I haven't done my deep dive into Cal, but I know a little bit. And basically okay. the little bit and the whole narrative on Cal entering this year is that they return a ton from a team that was fine last year. Fine to pretty good. Um, eight, and when, eight and five, right? Eight and five. And yeah. the thing to remember about the five is that Chase Garbers was either out or not completely 100% for those five. In right. the games where he started and was 100%, they went eight and oh. Um, so Cal... They have the potential to be pretty good. They're a dark horse uh, North winner, actually. Um, and actually, with ASU falling off their schedule and UCLA coming on it, uh, their odds of winning the North just improved. Again, if, you, if you're operating in the reality where Cal finishes a season and they actually play the full six or seven games, everybody does, and there's actually a North and South winner, Cal, Cal's road to that just got a little bit easier. Um, they're, they returned basically everyone on offense, their entire offensive line, starting running back, <clears throat> starting quarterback. They returned four all Pac-12 performers on defense. They have to replace a little bit, but they return much of that defense. Um, they're changing out some things offensively, um, so who knows how that's going to work. It's gonna. I think it's more of a pro style type unit coming in. Um, so maybe there'll be some growing pains there, um, but they weren't an offensive juggernaut to begin with. It's not as if they're, you know, changing out horses with like an elite offense and going to something dreary. Um, they probably needed to try something new. Um, but just the bones of it, this is a really, really quality team. Um, I think actually has fewer question marks than the Utah team did that was coming in uh, potentially on Saturday. I think it presents as a much tougher game for UCLA, but there is an X factor here, which is you don't know which way it's going to go when neither coaching staff really has any time to prepare. Who does that advantage? Um, I, I would tend to think it's still Cal. Like I think the fact that they have so much continuity offensively in terms of the personnel and on defense, um, and they're just probably a just a fundamentally better team, I think that would be advantage Cal, but maybe... Chip Kelly, because of the wide range of his playbook, um, can throw some wrinkles out there that Cal have a little time to prepare for. Hard to know. Yeah. Uh, without knowing too much real, I mean, I, I know about Cal. I don't know literally up to date this minute where their personnel is. I think one question mark is Bill Musgrave, the new offensive coordinator they brought in. I, I mean, you bring in a new coordinator most of the time because you weren't happy with the last coordinator. So that to me has always in this off season been a little questionable. Um, uh, uh, so I would just starting there. I, I, I mean, I think Cal's good. I do. Uh, but I, I think there's still some questions and I think they're very, I think they're very beatable. Um, what's really interesting to me about Cal's roster. There are quite a few very familiar names. Guys that either Cal out-recruited UCLA for or guys that UCLA didn't, who they, I know, could have gotten or been very serious contenders for that they didn't offer that Cal got. Chase Garbers, for one. They, UCLA would, do, would not offer Garbers. Um, I, I think you could argue that he might be, when he's healthy, a better quarterback than than the one UCLA has right now. Uh, Chris Brown, their running back, their starting running back, ran for about 1,000 yards, I think, last year. Uh, kind of was a UCLA snub. Uh, one of their best defenders, um, Quoney Deng. Uh, uh, UCLA went after. He was at Independence JC. Uh, 
Cal out recruited him. There's so many guys. I, I mean, they're. I go up and down and looking at their, uh, you know, Aaron Maldonado, Brett Johnson, Braxton Croto. These are all guys who Braxton Croto had like interest in UCLA, didn't offer him, and then Cal did, and he decided to commit to Cal. Uh, just Brett Johnson never offered him. He's he's starting as a true sophomore at Noseguard. So there are a lot of guys. It's kind of it's kind of a alternate uh, Twilight Zone kind of game of Cal's playing with guys UCLA didn't a lot of they didn't want or they got recruited for, and we'll see if that alternate team can beat the one that Chip Kelly opted for, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think, so there hasn't, I think the news is so recent. Let me look and see if there's even a line out. Um, because I'd be interested to see, because uh, Utah, I think, was tracking towards a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I think that's where at it most recently. Mm-hmm. Let me see if UCLA Cal is up here yet. And, and while you're doing that, um, is there an advantage that UCLA played a game? Or a disadvantage. Cal, I, I mean, obviously, every coach wants to get a game under its belt. They feel getting that experience is better. But there's a couple of things. Um, you, you've given them tape. I, I mean, of course, the UCLA will have tape on any kind of offense from, from Musgrave. But they really don't have tape on them. And then secondly, no one's injured. <laughs> and UCLA's without a few guys. Kyle Phillips, you know, I think, from what I've heard, and I, I admit, I'm, sources are not near as reliable as they used to be during COVID, uh, but he seems like he's questionable right now. Um, I don't know. I think the, I think Cal might have an advantage having not played. Yeah, I think there's some value to that, um, especially with them breaking in a new offense, um, and I think they'll see the way, you know, I thought Osgood had a good story about different things that were confusing in the uh, – or that seemed to be confusing the players in the four two five this past weekend. You know, I think Cal will have maybe a little bit of time to go into that sort of thing. Um, so they'll know a little bit. I just don't know how much they're going to be able to do in basically a day. I mean, they've got, I mean, it was announced, what, an hour ago, hour and a half ago. Yeah. So in, can you imagine what's going on right now? In what, well, four, 44 hours of prep, how much they're going to be able to install? Um, well, and that's that's the thing that you know that's a really good point. When you're talking about who has the advantage, uh, Cal's going to be just going over that Colorado game. Yeah. Um, what is what is UCLA doing? Well, UCLA they can. I mean, I, I so I guess that's the point is even if they go over the Colorado game, I mean it would be like the coaches knowing the tendencies, but how long are they going to have to drill that into anybody's head on their team? Um. That's the thing where I don't know. I think they're going to be largely reliant on half-remembered impressions of last year the same way UCLA is. And I think it's going to largely, I would guess both teams are just going to try to do their base stuff for the most part. Um, because what else? I mean, they prepared for, I mean, Cal prepared for ASU, um, which I don't know. I don't know how similar ASU is on either side of the ball to what UCLA does. And UCLA prepared for Utah. Which runs, you know, a, a four-two-five defense of its own, though more kind of big guy heavy, and um, you know that offense where they didn't really know they knew the scheme, but we don't really know what Cal's scheme is going to look like. So I don't even know how much the preparation they've already done this week is really going to help them a whole lot. I think it's whatever they learned in their you know fall camps really that's going to be playing a role here because they're going to have to just do. I think they're just going to have to do a lot of their base stuff because there's going to be limited time to install anything else. And my yeah. my sense of it is Cal's just a better team and a better coach team, and that's should be the biggest factor here. And then on offense, I mean, they've been running a spread for years, and now Bill Musgrave is you know a pro-style offense. So, I mean, of course, there's a lot of tape on Bill Musgrave, like I said, but I... I don't know who has an advantage there, Dave. Of you're going in with a new with a new scheme, or you're on the other side and you have no tape on the scheme. 
I think it's. I mean, I think it's probably advantage Cal um, because I think offense has a better chance of dictating, especially if they are kind of a surprise. Um, and because we haven't seen a Musgrave coached Cal offense, there is an element of surprise there. I think. Um, whereas UCLA, um, whatever you want to call this offensive scheme that Chip Kelly runs, he's now been doing it for two plus years. Um, so I think there's some learned familiarity from Cal's end. Maybe they can, um, you know, take their bits of their game plan from last year and just apply them. Um, so, you know, it'll be different attacking the defense for Cal's offense, but I think again, offenses tend to dictate to defenses rather than vice versa. Um, so I think Cal's offense being a new thing has the advantage over UCLA's defense being a new thing. Um, and on the other end, I think strength versus strength. Uh, I like Cal's defense a lot more than I like Chip Kelly's offense. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got some guys. I mean, one of my favorite guys in PAC 12 last year was, uh, blank on his name. Uh, Cameron, Cameron Bynum, their, their DB, that guy, that guy, (laughs) He's one of those scrappy guys who's just a player, you know, who's not necessarily fast. He's not necessarily big, but he just gets it. He, when you're watching a Cal game, you keep going, who's that guy? Who's that Who's that guy who keeps making – or he had that pass breakup or he blew up that play. That He's that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and their secondaries, um, you know, I think they're replacing a couple of guys, but they're, um, they've had a pretty good secondary the entire time Wilcox has been there. So – yeah, I mean, the game itself, I mean, we're going to, I'll probably try to dive a little bit deeper tomorrow um, and give you ravenous hordes something uh, to tide you over until 9 a.m. Um, but What a guy you are. What a what an absolute mensch. What a, you're a mensch. You're I'm a are. mensch. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there are, I, the, it's, it's whatever. It's going to be weird. Um, but I think the way to think about that game is the weekend got a little bit harder for UCLA. Um, Utah had some real question marks. Cal has fewer. Um, and they were expected to be a much more sure and true quantity this year. Um, whereas Utah was, you know, could have gone either way. Um, and remains to be seen if Utah's going to go anyway, because uh, they have not been able to play football yet. So... Yeah, should be fun. Nine a.m. That'll be cool. So over, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> gonna be weird. I mean, uh, there are a lot of unprecedented things here. I don't remember a game being thrown together with two games of preparation. I don't remember a Sunday. When's the last time they played on a Sunday? Any team? Um, I, I want to say. There's always been like a opener Sunday game, like they've been doing that pretty frequently. Um, the like that first weekend of play because the NFL hasn't yeah. started yet. Sure. Um, did UCLA play on a Sunday for Labor Day against like Texas or something? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing you know my what? Brandon Huffman impression right now, but I want to say there was a Sunday before Labor Day game at one I'm point. Text- While we're on this. Podcast. I'm texting Brandon right now, and I swear he will get back to us. Yeah, oh, he absolutely will. I want to say there was a Sunday of Labor Day. Um, so yeah, that's that. That's an interesting note. A 9 a.m. West Coast game. Another interesting note. I'm sure I'll be glad to actually watch some football. I give a crap about on a Sunday. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, weird season. Oh, this and one other note for everyone is that it's... how fast was that? Was that three seconds? What did he say? He said the A and M comeback was on Sunday. Yeah, come on, of course. Yeah, okay. The hell? We need. Yeah, yeah. Um, Huffman, what an incredible man. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll be interesting, and this also pushes Oregon back a day because uh, they don't want it to go Sunday Friday. Right. So, yeah. So, very interesting stuff. I mean, you know, what everyone wants to talk about also is, like, I wrote that article about this week about Chip Kelly's status. Um, You know, uh, it's pretty much where it was, I think. Uh, His buyout is up pretty much, you can say, at the end of the 2021 season. Uh, It's... It's. I, I have to still say I think it's unlikely UCLA does anything 
because it's a $9 million buyout. Um, but I think there is, I said before the season, I think there was about a 20% chance. Maybe I just said that in my mind, but <laughs> now I'm saying it publicly that there was a 20% chance that he could be let go or leave UCLA by the end of the season. I think that goes up to about 35 now with the loss to Colorado. Um, just because I have heard there's some dissatisfaction within the UCLA community. Uh, and I think if they do play a season, everyone could be on the same page from the administration to the donors to Chip Kelly and saying, this just is not tenable anymore. I, I, I could actually, I'm seeing it clearer now than I was pre Colorado. Um, so that's where that is right now. Of course, you, there'd have to be some kind of semblance of, of a season. Couldn't be with three games. I mean, if they were going to, something was going to happen after, there'd have to be, you know, six games. So there's so many wild scenarios in there, though. I mean, what if they play four games and you say they go zero and four, and there's kind of a feeling that that wasn't enough and that, Chip wants to return. I mean, there's so many, there's so many crazy scenarios right now, given where we are. What do you think are the chances that UCLA gets in six games? Um, uh, pretty close to zero under the like schedule that they currently have set up, like the seven weeks to finish six games. Um, the the reality is that. The SEC just canceled four games this weekend. The Big Ten had to cancel a couple of games. There's going to be a lot of leagues who are going to need flexibility beyond what they have allotted for this schedule, and they're going to want to play more. Um, I don't think there's any real way of telling how this thing is going to go at this point. I think a lot of people are super invested in continuing to play. I think the Pac-12 is probably less so, and if enough of this tomfoolery happens the next couple of weeks, then they might just say, screw it, we're not doing this. Um, but I think broadly speaking, all of college football is going to need a little bit more time at the end to finish this thing up, um, which is going to push the call, which is going to push the college football playoff back probably a week or two. So could UCLA finish six games over the course of like the next eight weeks? Maybe. Um, and I think that's all this stuff is going to have to be, you know, kind of remain to be seen. I think as it stands right now, though. I don't think there's any way they're playing all six games on their current schedule. I mean, obviously they're not, they're not playing Utah, uh, but I don't think the next, you know, four after this are going to go off without a hitch either. Um, so we'll see. Um, I, I think for for my money, um, uh, not to like pronounce sentence, but um, the Colorado game I thought was, you know, not quite – you know, the ASU brawl with Cassius Marsh, like, swinging his helmet at people. But that's pretty much nail in the coffin uh, for me. Um, the team looked uh, out of sorts in many of the similar ways we've seen them look out of sorts the last two years. Dorian Thompson-Robinson making similar mistakes to what we saw last year. Um, all of the personnel issues that we've been just harping on for two and a half years just kind of reared their ugly head with the offensive line being able to block nobody. The linebackers being able to tackle nobody um, and just the general schematic issues that we've talked about to death. It's hard to see a path forward for Chip Kelly at UCLA after watching that because um, Colorado, look, I like that offensive line. Okay. Um, I like that running back, but should they have been able to put up 48 points on a UCLA defense entering the third year under a head coach of uh, Chip Kelly's credibility? No, no, that shouldn't have happened. So, yeah, that, that was, that was kind of it for me. You know what was interesting about that game is when we're going into a season, you know, this is what we do for a living, or I guess that's what we're calling this, um, <laughs> <laughs> a hobby. Uh, you take everything we know about the team, and, and I would say, you know, let's not call us hobbyists. We know this team probably better than any, any two people outside of that program. And we're probably more objective than anyone in the program, too. But when you're going into a season, you have to figure in reasonable improvement, right? You'd say, yeah. well, every, everyone's going to be a little bit better. 
They, they have to be. I mean, what percentage of, of players get better? It's pretty high from, you know, monumentally better to just oh, yeah. incrementally better. But everyone gets better. Everyone was not better. That's the, the and that's the second year running where that's been true. And I, I'm not going to name names on the offensive line because I think it's like, I don't know. At a certain point when so many guys aren't getting better, it feels unfair to blame the players. But there were, I mean, there was a guy who I thought was pretty good last year who turned out a really poor game um, on Saturday. And it's just like, how's that happening two years in a row in the offensive line where guys that we were impressed with in their first year then got significantly worse in year two. Um, and again, it's one game, just one game. So one game. we're not going to, you know, completely throw this but, out. But that's 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 an indictment. When your program is based entirely around getting in guys who have the measurables or whatever it was when he first started. I don't know what it is now. But that was the whole idea, the first couple of recruiting cycles is, Get these guys in with measurables, then develop them in your program, in your eating program, your weight training program, these guys who buy in, and then they're going to develop. Well, if we're seeing at like critical spots, guys just not improving, um, and I'm looking particularly at the secondary and the offensive line, that's an indictment. And I mean, if we want to throw it out how, there, how also defensive quarterback, line. Defensive, defensive line, defensive line, it's the same deal. Um, and I would say no position group has shown uniform improvement at UCLA um, under Chip Kelly. Like, more or less, there's every year it's like some newcomer looks pretty good and the returning guys look worse. Um, it, like, noticeable uh, exceptions. I think Chris Barnes generally got better throughout his career. Um, but a lot of guys are getting worse all the time, every single year. And it doesn't seem like it's a lack of commitment. We're not hearing a ton about an underbelly. I think it's just a simple uh, indictment of, and I, I don't mean to keep overusing the words, but I don't want to like um, call out something specific, but it's the, the program, the, the training program, the eating program, the development of these actual players in the schemes. Um, but it's, it's a commonality. And we've seen it enough now that you can say, these guys aren't developing the way this program was created to do. This is my theory. I don't think, I think development is like third on the list of what's wrong. Because I did write that article that when I was watching that game, all I kept saying is, well, that's wrong. Uh, that's wrong. Why, why are they doing that? Why is that player playing there? Wow, that was wrong. I mean, that's all I, that's all I kept saying. So when it comes to development... I think what's wrong first is they haven't gotten a lot of talent into the program. Secondly, I think the scheme, the schemes are just not very good. No matter how much you develop some in, like, let's say you've gotten three star marginal, lower four star guys and they've gotten a little bit better, but that's their level that they are talent wise. And you put them in a scheme that doesn't fit them in a position that, where they're out of position, uh, development isn't going to work. I mean, I looked at that defense. There's so many parts of that defense that I don't understand. Uh, like you said, Utah's defense is a 4-2-5. They got some big dudes on that defensive line that push you. UCLA's gone to 6'2", 265-pound defensive linemen. And then their bigger guys that they throw in I'm like, let's not name names, but they were really not good last week. So well, we've, there's we've, so we've, many things. It's when it comes to watching that game, Bo Calvert isn't a middle linebacker. Well, uh, so um, I wait, wanna... wait, a few more, a few more. Miles Jackson is not a defensive end. I, I mean, I, I watched him. He's an athletic young guy, but he got thrown around. He's a true freshman. And even conceding that, He's six two and a half and two thirty five, and he mostly he stood up a little, dropped into coverage like twice, but most of the time he had his hand down. He was going against an offensive lineman. I don't care how quick he is. He you can't do that. You just you can't. You're undersized. So they were undersized at so many different positions that you just said that's that's just wrong. <laughs> That's ill-conceived. That's not going to work. 
So. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, I don't think we harped on this point enough with all of the four two five talk in the offseason, but does it strike anyone as funny that uh, UCLA is opting for a service academy defense? Like, it's it's as if, if, if UCLA suddenly went to the triple option, people would be up in arms. Um, they started just running the bone out there. I can tell you what it is, though. It's they, because they're under-talented. They need a that's defense it. that's going to fit their they, damn they, talent. But the thing is, the way, you, the way you actually need to use the UCLA job is to recruit talent. I mean, no, yeah. nobody was signing up Chip Kelly so he could run Navy's program out there. Right. Um, they came in thinking they'd be able to recruit at a very high level. Well, like, and that's get, why you— and that's these why you, huge dudes, like on the defensive line, they didn't get it. They changed their approach and, and their personnel because they said, well, these are the type of guys we can get. So now they've plugged in a scheme that they think will optimize smaller, scrappier guys, but they're just not as good as they should be. Yeah. Well, and I, it takes a while to, I think, install something like that. I mean, the thing is, these service academies have no expectations, and they also play a different type of schedule. So uh, you get more of a learning curve um, with that sort of did, defense. But Gary Patterson's read, been running that thing for, I don't know, 15 years. Did you read Chris Osgood's? Look at that four two five from this past weekend or the one from the early part of the summer. No, this what he just wrote. Yeah, the one today. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Chris and I talked because Chris, you know, knows everything about offense. And then we, I said, hey, why don't you take a stab at the four two five? And he said, well, okay, let me look at you know a few different. I'll look at you know a few different defenses. And I said, you know, generally in this defense. There aren't going to be a left and right side. They're going to have to flip depending on boundary and field. And while I was watching that game, I just casually I noticed that they were misaligned so many, uh, uh, too many times. And Chris noted that. And maybe a little bit better at that, but these are college players. That's one more thing they have to learn and they have to get in, they, to get them aligned. And believe me, it's it's not easy to get twenty year olds aligned, <laughs> you know, play after play after play when these things are pretty complicated. And now you have one more thing for them yeah, to have to pay attention to. And fundamentally, it's why you don't want to be in a position where you're switching schemes two years into a tenure uh, because they never even got to peak performance in the old scheme, uh, and then they have to learn a new one. So I, the big worry for me, seriously, is that. This is a defensive line of of veterans. We can easily call these guys veterans. And I've never, I mean, we've witnessed a lot of UCLA defenses that just got run right through, just opened up like the Red Sea. This, this was on a whole nother level. I mean, it just didn't seem like there was even a defensive line there sometimes. And a lot of it is because they're doing that trickery stuff where they're kind of moving around and lining up. And there were some times, at least in the first half, where Colorado literally looked at the line and said, okay, so you're over you're over setting on this one side. We'll just run to the other side. Yeah, that happened frequently. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I just don't see this working. And if your strength is the defensive line that these guys can at least stop the run, I – from, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't see that ever happening this year, <laughs> yeah. given what I saw from the Colorado game. Yeah, and that's why I, that's fundamentally why I ended up picking Utah, because I do think they have a lot of questions to answer on defense. Uh, but that's why I picked Utah in the game, which is not going to happen on Saturday, because their offensive line is really good, um, and they should be able to run the ball even with you and me at running back. Um, because right. UCLA, I have no confidence. First, that the defensive line is, is really as... as you know, maybe as powerful as we thought it was going to be, but also linebacker. I mean, they don't really have an interior linebacker who can stuff the run. So, and since we're talking about that, I think I read, but I can't remember. Isn't Cal returning all five of its starters? Yeah, no, it's the, the same. Line? The offensive argument is the same basic deal. The only thing that's a mitigating factor is that Cal, it's a new offense, um, but they return a ton. I mean, they return all five starting offensive linemen. They return their starting quarterback. They return their starting running back. That's... And this is the thing. It's a, this is, a, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, this is not a good matchup because this new 425 UCLA's 425 is geared to try to defend against the spread offense. 
I mean, you could see Cal's new pro-style scheme with a good offensive line just running it down their throats. Just really? after, after you saw that tape with Chris Brown just pounding them. I mean, I, I would have to think we're going to see another an opponent's uh, result of ground game like we saw against Colorado. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we've given you the overview of the season, uh, what we think will happen, the likelihood of a whole season and Chip Kelly's situation. So we've wrapped up football on a little bow. How Can we talk ba- basketball, please? Basketball. Number one preseason, Pac-12. And let's not even say, you know, COVID is bad right now and hopefully this actually goes forward. Let's not even say that. Let's just instead talk about basketball. You know when you know when your your children are young and you have young children uh-huh. and they say and they say just sweet things, just that comes straight from your heart and it just really hits you. You go, Wow, that's just amazing how sweet this kid can be. I, I get that way when I go to the UCLA basketball forum, the bro basketball forum, and you have someone, you know, they're responding to the thread about UCLA being picked in the preseason Pac-12 media poll, and they just say, gosh, that's that's just so nice. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so unfamiliar with that. It's just so it's so great to feel that again. Yeah. It's just like that. It's like when your, your kid says something really sweet when they're three years old. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, UCLA was picked first narrowly. Uh, narrowly. ASU ASU was second with I think five fewer points. Um, but it's you know UCLA picked with the most first place votes. Uh, Chris Smith was named first team preseason All Pac twelve. No surprise there. Tiger Campbell I think was second team, and then um, Jalen Hill and Jaime Jaquez were uh, honorable mention, which. If you look at the teams, and this is just a minor note, they didn't have really any bigs on there. And Jalen Hill, look, I know I know there's some complicating factors here. Uh, guy really, you know, doesn't have much of an offensive game. But the way he creates fouls and converts at the foul line is like a super elite quality. He is so good at that that I think he's first or second team all by himself right there just from that. And he's a decent free throw shooter. And he, yeah, he's like a 74% three post, three free throw shooter um, on top of, I mean, literally creates fouls at like a super elite rate. Like if uh, he played enough minutes last year, he would have been, I think, seventh in the country at fouls created free throw rate, and the, essentially. Then the other thing I like when I ask Chris Smith, like, you know, who's the best shooter in practice? And he went out on a limb and said Johnny Juzang over Jake Kymet. And I got to think Jake Kaiman as a sophomore in practice is just money, right? Yeah. I, so, I, I, so watching Mix things, like just hearing him talk about this team, I think he's trying to tamp it down a little bit, but I think he's getting a little bit excited. That's exactly what I feel too. His, he knows he's too good of a coach. He's done this too long. He knows what to do. He's got the advanced coaching playbook. I need to tamp this down right now. I need to just control expectation. But I think he, he, he can't control it a little. I think he's a little giddy in there, and he, and he doesn't want to show it. Yeah. Well, because they have, I think, if, if the truth is that Juzang is now a, an elite shooter, um, that's two of them. And David Singleton, who's no slouch. Um, and a healthy David Singleton, that was a big part of the missing piece last year was enough outside shooting to kind of free everything up. Um, Not just healthy, but apparently in the best shape of his life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I don't know. I'm kind of with Mick. I'm giddily excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have we have a schedule. Well, we don't have a Pac-12 schedule, but we have a schedule. Um, they're going to hop on a bus and go down and play at um, uh, San Diego State. They'll play San Diego State and Pepperdine. Yep. Um, then they'll come back to Poly Pavilion for like, I don't know, six games. 
one, two, three, four, five games. Uh, Long Beach State, Seattle, um, and then Cal, because they're playing the 20 conference games. So they had to mix in a couple uh, in, you know, before the traditional time of Pac-12 conference play. Uh, San Diego and Marquette, uh, then Kentucky. So given what we have here, I really like this non-conference schedule. I mean, there is a Seattle, but to me there isn't any real, like, cream-filled cupcake in here besides Seattle. I mean, and you know what? Maybe it's just that I have a natural interest in watching them play San Diego State, Pepperdine, Long Beach State, a lot San Diego, a lot more than I would a cupcake from back east that I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Uh, I I don't ever want to see whatever that. What was that? Monmouth that we had to watch Mon- that one year. Monmouth. Yeah, we don't need Monmouth. How I, hard? If I you don't, go to that school, do you do you say Monmouth every I, time? You I, say I don't know, Monmouth? but I don't want to. I don't want to. That's the thing. I think this should be the rule at UCLA. You don't play a school that's named after a Revolutionary War battlefield. God, it's amazing that you. That's your big, like storage of knowledge right yeah, there. Yeah, and you've just, got to use it. Which I've got to. What else am I going to do with it? That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, no, I think that's right. These are not um, super cupcakey, I would say. Um, all of these teams have had decent quality teams in the recent past. I haven't, I don't think either of us have done the deep dive into each of these um, local teams yet. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's a normal, it's actually, what strikes me mainly is it's a very normal UCLA non conference schedule. Like, without without the out of the region cupcakes, that's yeah, why it's basically it. yeah. But yeah. the but that was more of a hallmark of Steve Alford because if you go back to Ben Howland, they didn't really have much of that either. Um, right. It was that was the Alford era where he started getting your Liberties and Monmouths in there. Um, so this looks very normal to me. Um, it looks like it should set up for. I mean, the Marquette one is interesting. Yeah, nope, that one's still on there, right? Yeah, it absolutely. It's December 11th. So Marquette will be interesting, uh, but it sets up, I think, pretty well for UCLA to, you know, have a pretty strong non-conference record. Um, yeah. And then that and can, then and then Kentucky, Oregon, boom, boom. Yeah, wow. that's gonna be that's gonna be fun because you got to go. It's gonna be at Ohio for the Kentucky game. Like it's going to be in Cleveland. Uh, it's that CBS Sports Classic, and then in Eugene on Wednesday, December 23rd. What is the travel schedule there? Do you go back to UCLA or do you just go straight to Eugene from Ohio? Um, the game is at one thirty Kentucky time, so you're done by three. No, no, one thirty Pacific time. Oh, Pacific time. Sorry, right. So, in other words, you're a little bit later back there, but you you could, you'll they'll fly home that night. So you get home on the nineteenth. On a, uh, the twenty third is a Wednesday. Um, which would be the 22nd, you got to fly home. I guess. I guess. Um, and then that leads us to talking about, so overall you'd have to think it's easier to manage a COVID-19 situation with the basketball team because you're only dealing with like 25 people as opposed to 150 in your basketball, in your football program. You would think but, it's easier to keep them safe. I think but the, on rea- the, other hand, the reality is if one guy goes down, though, that is down. potentially going to limit you from playing. Yeah, and it's not like you play, you know, uh, let's say your football team gets wiped out. You you miss one game and maybe two. <laughs> With basketball, there are a lot of games. You could miss five games. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think it's equally as challenging, even though there's a lot less people. Um, I think there's a potential for – all full teams, and you know what? Uh, I didn't. I didn't do enough research into knowing if there's a minimum amount of scholarship players they have to have to play, like they had in football. I would imagine there is. I imagine they have some sort of rule like that. And um, what I'm interested to see is how many, what kind of formula? Because I know the one of the leagues came out with a formula for how they're going to determine a conference champion this year, because there's going to be, they're planning for the idea that there's going to be an uneven number of games. People are going to play different amounts. 
So they're weighting different factors, like 75% will be uh, your record or your winning percentage, and 25% will be the number of games you played. Um, something like that so that you don't end up with a situation where like a 6-0 and team has the advantage over like a 15-4 and team. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. extreme. Um, so I think that'll be really interesting um, to see what the Pac-12 devises there because they're probably going to have to come up with some con- con- contingency like that. Because when everyone was talking all happy crappy about the basketball season a month or two ago, it was the expectation, I think, and maybe, you know, obviously a little pie in the sky, that this the COVID-19 pandemic would be in a similar state and not significantly worse, which is what it is now. Um, and, you know, when the SEC has to cancel four football games, you know it's pretty bad. So I hate to go back to football, but overall, where we are right now, isn't this kind of absurd? I mean, are they really making a lot of money? They can't be. I really don't think they can be. Um, I, I don't know if they're recouping their losses uh, at all from the season. I think it's just a matter of um, getting some of it back, I think. But they can't be making a ton of money. Um, so it all feels very stupid. Like, the whole thing feels very stupid. And I know I've banged that drum quite a bit. Um, and I don't feel any need to continue banging it. But because it's going on whether I bang it or not. Um but it's it's all say say bang it one more bang time. it <laughs> however much I bang it it will keep going on forever and ever um, but it's all very dumb um, it's very dumb that this is happening um, I think the Pac-12 uh, had the right idea at the jump to just try to punt this whole thing to spring um, I think that was probably the move they backed off that idea and then I don't think they ever. Um, accumulated the uh, buy-in from all of their different public entities. And I don't know if that was ever possible that they would to actually make it capable of being pulled off. Um, Cause it sounds like they didn't talk with the Berkeley public health department really at all to get them on board with the idea of their own contact tracing procedures. Um, and that's why Cal wasn't able to play last week, even though there was like one positive test. Um, all of these things it feels like a, a league that got caught in the middle and uh, had too much pressure on them from one end or the other and made a decision without actually having done a lot of the groundwork. Um, okay, so what you're saying is basically the Pac-12 fell, fell to pressure. I think that so. They had. Okay, yeah. so if you, if you keep going, so they fell to pressure to play because everyone else is playing and the big 10 fell to higher pressure for themselves because the SEC was, so really this is being dictated because the SEC just decided to play. And right now we're in a situation. I mean, I know a lot of people out there are going to be saying we should just be playing and not caring about COVID-19, but realistically, I mean, if they're not, I can almost rationalize it if they're making a ton of money. I can almost see why the well, the, that's the, the thing is the SEC the but SEC might the they might be making yeah. a lot of money. They're that's allowing true. fans at a lot of these games, and they've been able to play a lot more because they started early. You know, not early; they started late, but they started earlier than basically everybody else in late September. So they've gotten some games in. Um, you know, some of those teams I think have played as much as eight games right now. Um, so they, uh, in as much as there was a smart way to, to do this, which there wasn't, there's none, nothing, nothing going on right now is smart, but in as much as there was a smart way to do it, it was committing fully to your plan from the beginning and carrying it through their plan from the beginning was we're going to play football. And they did, and they got a lot of games in doing it. Now, did they contribute? significantly to spread in their regions oh yeah hell yeah and it doesn't take contact tracing to determine that it takes having logical faculties um they did and whatever nobody cares fine um but they did and that's uh something that i'm sure none of them will even think about long enough to live with but um it's the reality of what they did uh in the in the west uh the public entities the states the the cities have had a more stringent focus on limiting spread um which has led to i think positive outcomes in a lot of these states uh but the end result is they were never going to allow what the sec allowed um eventually they settled on this weird middle ground where they would start in early november 
And that just happens to be in the teeth of the worst part of the pandemic. Literally the entire pandemic. This is the worst period of it right now. I didn't think we're we're close to the worst period. Yeah. Well, the worst as of so far as of this moment. Yeah. uh, It's going to look a whole hell of a lot worse in a couple of weeks. If you, you know, know anything about how, uh, how these numbers go. Um, so anyway, not great, uh, not to end this on a downer note, but it's, it's not great. Um, the PAC 12 probably should have stuck with its plan or uh, one way or another, they should have stuck with a plan either go off with the season and do the whole thing and start it in crap early September or don't do it at all and wait till March. Um, and they're in this middle ground now where the football season is just going to be a clown show the entire time. Okay. So. UCLA basketball should be pretty good, right? <laughs> I just wanted to end it on a good Yeah, you know, UCLA basketball will be a lot of fun, and hopefully, and uh, no irony involved, hopefully we get a season. Like, hopefully we get this full thing, and we don't have to sit here, you know, belaboring all these different games, getting canceled and moved and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully, more or less, it goes off without a hitch. There's reason to think that's possible. I wouldn't say probable, but there's reason to think that's possible. Because it's a smaller group of players, um, well, basketball, let's think about basketball squads tend to be more insular. I will say this. Yeah. Basketball teams tend to be more insular than football teams. This is a truth from when I was a student, and I think it's carried forward to now. The football players tend to mix with their frats and all that kind of stuff Huge and do all that crap. Basketball has – it's always been – the players have always been a little bit weirder, a little bit more squirrely, and a little bit, eh, I would say, stunted socially. So the end result is that because they, they're freaks, Dave. They are. Well, they're 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 tall. They're really they're tall. tall. They're... Like seeing a football player around, you're like, oh, that's just a big guy. Seeing a basketball <laughs> player around, oh, that's an alien. That's cool. <laughs> and of course, everyone has seen basketball players in real life. You watch them on the court; they look human. But then when you see him in real person, you just go, "Damn, that dude's tall. That is a skinny dude." But this is what I think. I think basketball program uh, season is going to start. It's I think it's going to run into a few a lot of problems through the winter, where they're going to be limping along, maybe canceling a lot of games. Then I think maybe by spring it will start looking a little bit well. Not I think it will start gradually getting better. It's a matter of this college basketball season holding on, hanging in there until March with a lot of teams, instead of playing 27 games, maybe they played 18 to 20. And then from that point, putting together an NCAA tournament. Look at you, you bright eyed optimist. That was pretty good though. Don't you think? Yeah, I love it. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it. That's all we have for you. I got nothing else. I'm drinking. I got to, I'm going to go start drinking. Yeah. But we'll, uh, for once, we're not like recording this a day in advance, so this will be up in a couple of minutes, and you'll be able yeah. to hear us more or less real time. Woo! That's amazing. Woo! Okay. All right. For Tracy good Pearson, talking to you, Dave. Good talking to you. Oh, good, good talking to you as always. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, that guy. I'm David Woods, Burn Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24/7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. Everyone, be safe out there. <laughs>